this conference. Amen. Oh, we pray that you will speak to us. Amen. Oh, cause us to be so open to you. Amen. Lord, we need you. Amen. Oh, and you need us to cooperate with you. Amen. Oh, so that you can bring your bride Amen. to come, Lord, Amen. to be mature, Amen. to bring in the kingdom. Amen. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us Amen. throughout all this conference. Amen. From the first message to the last, Lord. Amen. Oh, open our heart. Amen. Oh, so that we can receive you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, the general subject for this conference is the crucial revelation of life in the scripture. The crucial revelation of life in the scripture. You know, this is a very important subject that we need to all dive into. We want to see the revelation of life. The revelation of life. Even from the start of the, uh, the Bible, in Genesis 1, you know, people think that Genesis 1 is talking about creation, but actually, you know, it is talking about life. It is talking about life. Praise the Lord. The Bible starts with life, and it ends with the city of life. You know, all this time throughout Genesis, all the way to Revelation, we see how life is very important in the bringing forth of the one new man, you know, so that the bride could be prepared, so that the kingdom could be brought in. You know, as I was going through this outline, I was touched by uh, some of the reading that I had been having, and uh, it was something that touched me very much. And I would like to uh, share this with you. You know, uh, in the full-time training, I was helping to take care of a team, which is the USC team. And uh, some years ago, we started to, uh, to fellowship with the trainees that maybe we should go through some books from cover to cover. You know, most of the time we read excerpts but we felt that maybe we should go to and read some books, you know, so that you know how Broly starts, you know how Broly ends. And one of the books that we just went through, it's a big book, but we went through the whole book, is on the uh, knowing life in the church. Knowing life in the church, okay? And uh, there is, uh, in the start of this book, Broly said something like this. He said, recently I have a heavy burden you know, when Broly has heavy burden, I hope we will have some burden. Don't you think so? He has a heavy burden, and I thought we should pray, Lord, give me the same burden as Broly has. Okay? He said, I have a heavy burden. Even though the number of brothers and sisters is increasing, I wonder how much the mention of the statue of Christ is increasing in the church. Therefore, I have a strong feeling a strong feeling that we should help the brothers and sisters know life and the church. So he connected life and the church, all right? He said life and the church go together because there would be no church without life. There will be no church without life. Life produce, produces the church. The church is the result of life, and life is the content of the church. According to God's word, salvation is completely a matter of the life in us. 
although man's natural mind cannot understand, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, God cares only about the matter of life. Amen. God cares only about the matter of life. You know, praise the Lord, tonight, starting tonight, for the next four messages, we would cover the crucial revelation of life in the scripture. You may think, you know, that we already know life, but actually there is so much on this that we need to dive into so that we can actually know what this life is all about, so that we would be able to build up the church as the body of Christ, you know, the one new man, you know, to prepare the bride for the coming of our Lord Jesus. You know, so uh, when we come to this, you know, when he talks about the crucial revelation of life, I believe we all remember the prayer of our brother Paul, you know, in Ephesians 1, that he prayed for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He prayed for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So for us to be able to understand life, to be able to understand the church, you know, as the bride and all this matter, we need to ask the Lord to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know, one time I read also what Brawley shared regarding this. He said that when, when Paul talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it is good for us to know that wisdom comes first then we can understand, for the wisdom and understanding. You know, everywhere in the Bible, it's, uh, it's reason. Paul has a reason of why he said the spirit of wisdom and then understanding. And then so in that message that I have read from Brother Lee, he talks about, you know, for us to, be, to have a proper understanding, we need wisdom. Of course, wisdom comes from God but also wisdom comes from training. Wisdom comes from training. And that's why you know, he gave an illustration. He said if people open their factory to you to show you everything in that factory, if you do not have some kind of training in engineering or in factories, you may go through that factory, you may see all these different things, but you have no idea what those things are. Okay, it is revealed to you. You know, they open their factory, the secret of the factory to you, but you don't understand exactly why all these things are arranged in a particular way. So he said we need wisdom and we need from God, and we also need much training, much studying of the Word of God. You know, so when we talk about the crucial revelation of life, praise the Lord in the Lord's recovery today. You know, so much speaking we receive. But how much of understanding do we have actually re depends upon our studying, our digging into the Word of God. You know, Brawley often said he opens the mind, but we need to go in and dig in the mind so that we can find the crystal that is in the mind. You know, so when we come to this matter of a crucial revelation, I hope that the Lord would give us a proper understanding of this revelation. Maybe for us to be able to understand all this proper revelation, maybe we all need to have a proper study of the Word of God, the proper study of this Holy Scripture. 
And uh, I heard this message not so long ago, and I was very touched by this. Uh, let me share with you something else that Brawley has said. He said, near the end of Brawley's ministry, you know, he spoke something about uh, we need to have a proper way to study the Holy Scripture. And he said that the, pra uh, the proper way to study the Holy Word is to bring people into the eternal economy of God with the all-inclusive Christ as the center, with the body of Christ as the line that leads people to the consummation of the new Jerusalem as the goal. Amen. Did you get all this? <laughs> of course you get all this. Okay. Do you like me to repeat it again? <laughs> I'll shine this over there. Okay. Okay, let me repeat this. He said, the proper way to study the Holy Word is to bring people into the eternal economy of God with the all-inclusive Christ as the center, with the body of Christ as the line that leads people to the consummation of the new Jerusalem as the goal. And by the consummated life-giving spirit as the one who works out all that the Father had planned, has planned and accomplished. This is the goal that the life study and the crystallization study of the Bible attempt to reach. At Jericho, all the priests bore the same one ark, blue ram's horn. It is wonderful that today we are speaking the same word and bearing the same testimony, which is Christ. You know, praise the Lord, if we properly understand the revelation, you know, as it's being said here, we would all bear the same one ark, okay? And we would all blow the same ram's horn, okay? And we will, have, we will speak the same word, and we will bear the same testimony. You know, praise the Lord for what Brody has shared with us. You know, I, more and more, you know, I felt like we are the most blessed people on earth. We are even more blessed than all those disciples that roams around in the Sea of Galilee. You know, we are here today at the end of the age where all this word seems to be uh, open to us with the proper interpretation so that we can properly understand what the Lord is doing today. You know, this, I believe, if you travel around or if you read the newspaper, the Lord desired to come back quickly. And we, when we heard such thing, when we see such thing, we should respond to the Lord by telling the Lord, come quickly. And when we pray to the Lord, come quickly, maybe the Lord would ask us, why do you want to come for me to come for? Unless the bride is prepared, the Lord will not come back. So as we pray, come Lord Jesus, we should also pray that the Lord will prepare his bride. Don't you think so? So that the Lord will return, or else nothing on this earth would be bringing him back. You know, so I hope that when we dive into this message, the Lord will really touch us very much regarding this. Okay? All right, here in the general subject, 
in talking about the crucial experience of life in the scripture. You know, life is very, very important in the eternal economy of God. You know, if we talk about the central thought of God, what is the central thought of God? It's for God to be expressed. God wants to express himself actually in Christ through the church with the shining forth of life and light. With the shining forth of life and light. This is the central thought. Okay, so when we said that what God wants is for us to express him, the only people that can express God is the people that has the life of God. Don't you think so? Because life has a certain expression. Only the life of God can express God. So today, we need to see this life. We need to receive this life. We need to allow this life to grow in us so that we can attain the eternal purpose of God, which is to have us as a corporate being to express this very God. You know, as his testimony here on earth, full of light and full of life. You know, so may the Lord really touch us. When I come to this message, I don't know how to speak this message. So I pray very much before the Lord, you know, that the Lord would really touch me first. And maybe through our fellowship tonight, you know, the Lord would enlighten us more so that we would see what the Lord is after. What the Lord is after is to have a corporate person that would actually shine him forth. You know, this is the great mystery of the universe. This is the great mystery of the universe. You know, I subscribe to this magazine called National Geographic. You know, it talks about so many mystery. The mystery of the universe, mystery of the stars, mystery of all these things. You know? But those are puny mystery. Okay, the great mystery is like in Ephesians 5.32. The great mystery is Christ and the church. Praise the Lord for Ephesians 5.32. The mystery is great. But I speak with regard to Christ and the church. Don't you think that is wonderful? You know, if we go through so many of the verses, I believe we understand, like when we go to Colossians 2.2, the mystery of God is Christ. And if we go to Ephesians 3.4, the mystery of Christ is the church. You know, when I read this in the, in the past, I always wonder, you know, what is the mystery of God? which is Christ. Actually, without Christ, nobody could know God. Without the church, nobody would know Christ. So we need the church today so that people would know Christ, so that people would know God. You know, if we, the church is not a genuine church, it's not a proper church, nobody on earth would be able to know Christ, and nobody on earth would be able to know God. You know, praise the Lord. You know, this is the great mystery. You know, what the Lord wants is to shine for this Christ and the church. And then I love this verse in 1 Timothy 3.16. He said, confessly, great is the mystery of godliness. And what is the great mystery of godliness? Is that he who has manifested in the flesh. He has manifested himself in the flesh. Today, this is the great mystery. Christ 
who comes into us to make us the church so that we can manifest him today on earth in the flesh. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord for what he is doing. Amen. You know, so I just hope that the Lord will continue to touch us very much, that we are here not just, you know, thinking that uh, we are practicing some kind of church life. You know, what we are doing is actually to manifest God in the flesh. Amen. You know, one time I also read, and I think it's in the conclusion of the New Testament, he said that the unique truth in the universe, the unique truth in the universe is God manifested in the flesh. Yeah. Oh, praise the Lord that he is willing to use us to manifest him, to express him. You know, this should be the greatest gospel on earth, that we human beings, although we have fallen, the Lord comes in to rescue us, to redeem us, so that we can actually receive the divine life of God, so that we can all shine for this God, Amen. we can all manifest this God, Amen. you know. Oh, praise the Lord. So, you know, I, I just love this ministry very much. You know, it seems like, you know, uh, we are in a, in a very, very good place where this ministry keeps telling us that today what the Lord wants is to have a church which is His bride, you know, so that we can bring the Lord back. Amen. Don't you think that is wonderful? Amen. You know, uh, there is a verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.2. 2 Corinthians 11.2 is a wonderful verse talking about this ministry is actually a betrothing ministry. Okay, it's a betrothing ministry. 2 Corinthians 11.2 said, For I am jealous over you, with the jealousy of God. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. To present you as a pure, a pure virgin to Christ. You know, Paul's ministry is a betrothing ministry. This ministry that we are in today is a betrothing ministry. It is a ministry to bring forth, to stir us up, you know, to love the Lord so that we can become the bride of Christ. Oh, praise the Lord for what he is doing. You know, so tonight when we come to this subject, how the bride of Christ comes into being, I hope that we are all very touched with this. You know, this is very crucial. This is probably one of the most crucial revelations in the Bible. You know, how this bride of Christ can come into being so that we can be those that would end this age. Okay. And there is quite a few uh, verses here. And I, I believe all these verses are very important. And uh, probably we all read it before. But sometimes, you know, when we read it together, we receive more lights. <laughs> we receive more lights just by reading it together, just by our, all of us exercising our spirit to dive into the depth of all the speaking. So maybe I'll read through all this. Okay, all these verses that is in the scriptural reading. Genesis 2.18 says, And Jehovah God said, It is not good for men to be alone. It is not good for men to be alone. I will make him a helper as his counterpart. You know, I believe when the Lord Jehovah was talking to, you know, he was saying this verse, he probably is referring to himself. 
You know, he's referring to himself, that it is not good for him to be alone. That's why he created the universe. He created everything else. And at last, you know, he created men because he wants to build his corporate men to become his counterpart. Okay? And I'll make him a helper as his counterpart. I'll make him a helper as his counterpart. I believe we all sort of understand what this word counterpart is, but it's good for us to review some of the meaning of this word counterpart. Counterpart, you know, one of the meaning is that it resembles one another. It resembles one another. You know? A counterpart of another part is actually they resemble one another. Don't you think this is wonderful? You know, sometimes if you look at uh, couples that love each other, the more they grow, the more they look in one like each other. You know, they look like they are brothers and sisters, but actually they are couples, you know, because they are counterpart to one another. But today, of course, we are not talking about this. We are talking about us being a counterpart of Christ. That means we resemble our Lord in life, in nature. You know, this is what the Lord is after, that we receive him, and the more his life infused into us, the more we would be like him. And I love this promise. One day, when we see him face to face, we will be just like him. Amen. This morning when I woke up, I look at the mirror, I said, this is not Christ. <laughs> There's still a long way to go. You know, but praise the Lord, as we are being infused by Christ, as we are being infused by Christ, we will be his counterpart. This is what he is building today, building us up to become his counterpart, to resemble him. Counterpart could also mean that we are the same with him in function and in character. In function, in character. You know, praise the Lord, as we're infused by Christ, what is in his heart will become what is in his heart. What is desire will become our desire. Amen. We would do what he wants to do. Like, for example, of shepherding, if we are infused by God, we would actually shepherd according to God. Amen. Don't you think it is wonderful? Amen. We do not shepherd according to our natural life, but we shepherd according to God. Okay, and another definition of counterpart is one of two parts that fit and complete one another. One of the two parts that fit and complete one another. You know, praise the Lord. Although, you know, our Lord is perfect in every way, but He still wants us to complete Him. Don't you think that is wonderful? Who are we? You know, sometimes if you think about this, you know, you actually don't have any time to be depressed because what the Lord has given us is so great. You know? He wants us to complete Him. Who are you? Who are me? Who, who are we? You know? Who am I? You know, that we would complete Christ. But this is a part of counterpart. It's one of the meaning of counterpart, you know, which is also that we become His complement, His parallel. You know, we... We complete, we are his, uh, his complement, who is to make up 
to make up a whole. So it seems like you know it's not a whole yet. It needs us to make it a whole. You know, this great mystery of Christ and the church. Christ wants the church to complete him so that it became a whole. It could be bring into perfection. You know, praise the Lord that he wants us to become his counterpart. Amen. And this is what the Lord is doing today. Okay, verse 19 says, Now Jehovah God has formed from the ground every animal of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the men to see what he would call them, and whatever the men call any living animal, that was its name. You know, so, you know, God bring all these animals to him. You know, in the past, I always wonder, you know, why did God have to do this? You know, God could just name them one by one without any help from us. You know, but actually, God bring all this to see Adam could find his counterpart. Okay, he presented all this thing that he has created. You know, but in uh, what helper? And the men get names to all cattle and to the birds of the heaven and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper as his counterpart. And Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the men. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. You know, he, closed, he took something out of Adam. And verse 22 says, And Jehovah God built the rib. He built the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. So something out of Adam was builded into a woman. And then God presented this woman back to Adam. And the man said, oh, this is wonderful. This time, this time. That means, you know, in the previous days, you know, oh, I don't know if it's days or what, how many hours, you know, those animals are come, but those are not this time, you know, but this is now the time. Oh, praise the Lord. This time, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because out of men this one was taken. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And both the man and the woman were naked and were not ashamed before each other. In John 19:34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately they came out blood and water. You know, the rib was open, the side was open, you know, and there comes out blood and water. And this, you know, corresponds to what Genesis is talking about. Then we come to these three verses, which are very important verses. It is, husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word, and that he might present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. You know, these three verses is probably one of the greatest cluster of verses because these verses is telling us how this bride was brought forth, how this bride comes into being. 
you know, this is a very important, these are very important verses. But we will touch it later. We will touch it a bit later. You know, so now let's go to the outline. He said the entire Bible is a divine romance. I think we all heard this, you know. So we say, oh, yeah, what's new? You know, but think about it. The entire Bible. What is an entire Bible? It's a divine romance. You know, I talk to Jews. I talk to Christians. You know, none of them actually know what the Bible is talking about. You know? You know, I spent 12 years in the Baptist Church Missionary School. You know, none of them ever talk about this. They thought that the whole Bible is to teach you how to become a good person. So it's full of commandments. You know, it's full of do's and don'ts. You know, they thought that the Bible is telling you to become a proper human being. You know, but they did not see. The crucial point of the whole Bible is that it is a divine romance. If you see this fact, then you will understand the Bible. Okay, the entire Bible is a divine romance, a record of how God courts his chosen people, and eventually, praise the Lord for eventually, marries them, marries them. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, so when we come to these verses, you know, I believe uh, we should be so joyful before the Lord. How the Lord, you know, has really shown us that his desire is to marry us, is to make us his bride so that he can marry us, so that we and him could be the corporate entity that will be his eternal testimony. You know, this is what is in the heart of the Lord, you know. So if we see what is in the heart of the Lord, we need to see, you know, how the Lord loves us and that we need to have a proper response to the Lord, to have proper response to the Lord. That's why, you know, if we go to the Song of Songs, we could actually see that these verses in the Song of Songs really shows us how our relationship should be with the Lord who loves us so much. Okay? When you come to Song of Song, chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Oh, what he wants is to really have a personal relationship with us. A personal relationship with us. He wants to kiss me. He wants us to kiss him. He wants to kiss him. Let him, he wants us to kiss him and he wants to kiss us. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, for your love is better than wine. You know, when Brawley talks about all these verses, he talks about these four things that is actually very touching regarding our relationship with the Lord. You know, so from time to time, we need to be reminded that what the Lord wants is to have this very intimate relationship with us. He said our relationship with him should be personal and it should be affectionate. It should be private and it should be spiritual. Okay, and you can prove all this by these verses in the Song of Songs. Because just like what I read, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, this is a very personal thing. Okay? It's a very personal thing. And uh, I believe, I believe it was Brother Lee who said this, you know. 
You know, when you kiss somebody, it's a one-to-one -one thing. You know? It's not one to many people, you know, because we don't have a very big lip. We only have one size lip that could fit another person's lip. Okay. So praise the Lord that we can have such a personal relationship with the Lord, you know. And then, uh, of course, you know, when you come to verse 4, he said, draw me, draw me. That is another proof that he wants us to have such a personal relationship with him. It's not just to draw us, but to draw me. And he says here, draw me, and we will run after you. Amen. So he has to draw us personally. You know, when we come to meetings like this, of course, praise the Lord, we have such a corporate meeting. But in such a corporate meeting, we should also have a personal relationship with the Lord. You know, as we go through all these messages, we should not be listening for other people. We should be listening for ourselves. We should have contact of the Lord personally and allow the Lord to speak to us personally. We need to be touched by Him personally. We need to pray to the Lord, Lord, draw me. Draw me. If the Lord draw me and if the Lord draw you, then we can all run after Him. But it has to start with you. It has to start with me. The Lord has to draw me. Okay? And then it says later, the king has brought me into his chamber. Into his chamber. So, you know, both kiss me, it's, these are all very affectionate things, right? Kiss me is a very affectionate thing. And then when it says, you know, what do you mean by private? Because the king here brought me into his chambers. His chamber is a very private place. Okay, his chamber is a very private place. And in this chamber is typifying our spirit, our spirit. The Lord enter into our spirit, okay? So that's why we also say that our relationship with him is also spiritual, okay? So all this thing is talking about our personal, affectionate, private, and spiritual relationship with the Lord. You know, I hope that in our church life, especially if we are in the church for a longer time, we would not forget about such relationship with the Lord. It's very easy for us, you know, to get tired or to get uh, numb, you know, about all these things, you know. So I think it's very good for us to have conference like this so that we can remind one another that, you know, that we need to have such relationship with the Lord. Personal relationship, affectionate relationship, private relationship, and spiritual relationship with the Lord. You know, I just hope the Lord would remind us over and over again. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, uh, you know, if you look at these things, you know, uh, and you compare this, you know, to uh, Revelation 2. You know, when the Lord was talking to uh, the church in Ephesus, he's talked to the Lord about the church in Ephesus. He refers to this first love. He said, you have done so many things, great, but you have lost your first love. So, you know, 
in those words that were spoken by the Lord to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, especially from verse 4 to 7, we see how the Lord cares very much for our relationship with him. If we lose our first love, then the testimony, the, the lampstand may be taken away from us. This is a huge thing. You know, it is not just enough to do things right. Our relationship with the Lord must be proper. It must be full of love. It must be full of love. And the Lord promised the church in uh, Ephesus that if they have their first love, then he would allow them to eat the tree of life. The tree of life. You know, praise the Lord. In the church life today, we need to love the Lord. And the primary things that we do is actually to eat the tree of life. Amen. To eat the tree of life would enable us to keep the first love. And it's out of this first love that we can have the first work. Okay, all our work should come out of this love. The first love, our best love for the Lord, you know, should usher or should issue in all the works that we are doing. Okay? Oh, this is what the Lord is after. So may our relationship with the Lord be so enhanced in the matter of love. Because what he wants from us is to, for us to become his bride. For us to become his bride. Don't you think, you know, to have a bride, you want this relationship of love? You know, this is what the Lord is after. And even in the Old Testament, you know, the Lord reminded the Israelites so many times that he wants to be our husband. He wants to be our husband. Like, for example, in Isaiah 54, 5, for your maker is your husband. Oh, praise the Lord. Our maker is our husband. Where can you hear this except in the Bible? But although it's in the Bible for so many years, many people missed it. And today, we can no longer miss such a thing. Okay, we need to see that our maker is our husband, which means he makes us so that we can be his bride. That's why he makes us. That's why he created us, so that he can be our husband and we can be his wife. Okay? You know, so many of those verses are just wonderful, you know. Like, for example, in Jeremiah 2, 2, you know, and it's talking about, you know, the love of your bridal days when you followed after me in the wilderness. You know, the Lord considered when the Israelites left Egypt and those journey through the wilderness, it's actually, you know, in the love of her bridal days. Okay? There's quite a lot of verses here. You know. I just like to make sure you understand, you know, all these verses is in the Bible. But I... <laughs> just to make sure that I have enough time, I copied all those verses in this outline. Okay. And uh, Jeremiah 3.14 again says, I am a husband to you. So return, O opposite children, declares Jehovah, for I am a husband to you. You know, we have left the Lord. 
But the Lord, allow us to return to him. And he even wants us to return to him. You know, and he said that he is our husband. Okay. And in Ezekiel 16, 8, Then I passed by you and saw you, and then was your time a time of love. Oh, it's a time of love. And in Hosea 2.19, And I will betroth you to myself forever. Oh, that's wonderful. He wants to betroth us to himself forever. Indeed, I will betroth you to myself in righteousness and justice. Okay. And in Matthew, let's come to the New Testament. Matthew 9.15, it says, The son of the bread chambers cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So the Lord actually referred to himself as not just the Savior, but the bridegroom. You know, he did all this. He created us. He redeemed us. He saved us from all things so that he can be our husband. He can be our bridegroom. Okay. And in John 3.29, I think we are all familiar with this verse. He said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and heals him rejoices with joy because of the bridegroom's voice. The joy of mine, therefore, is made full. Okay. Now, then we come now to these three verses that we mentioned a while ago is one of the greatest, this is what probably said, one of the greatest clusters in the Bible is Ephesians 5, 25, 26, and 27. I think we are quite familiar with these three verses. And, uh, but uh, aside from using this in a wedding meeting, we need to really look into all the significance that is here in these three verses. Actually, if you read Three verses. Let me read it to you again. Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word, and that he might present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she would be holy and without blemish. Okay, if you come to these three verses, you know, let's consider these three verses. It's actually talking about Christ in three stages. It's talking about Christ in three stages. You know, verse 25 is talking about Christ as our Redeemer. He loves us so much that he comes to redeem us, you know. You know, he loves, you know, like husband is talking about himself, you know. He loves us. It's Christ loves us. And he loves the church and gave himself as for her. You know. He came to redeem us by shedding his blood on the cross. So that's the first stage. And then if you go to verse 26, and he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. It is talking about, you know, how Christ has become the life-giving spirit. You know, he has become the life-giving spirit so that he can sanctify us, so that he can cleanse us, so that he can become the life-giving word to cleanse us. So this is the second stage 
Christ is the life-giving spirit. But praise the Lord, he's not just, he's not just our redeemer, he's not just a life-giving spirit, he's actually also the bridegroom. And this is in verse 27, that he might present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that he, she would be holy and without blemish. Oh, praise the Lord, he's our redeemer. He is our, what, the life-giving spirit that meets all our need, and he is the bridegroom. He is our redeemer in the past, he is the present life-giving spirit. And in the future, he will come to become the bridegroom. This is what the Lord is doing. Okay? This is what he's doing today. Oh, praise the Lord. And you could say, you know, these three stages of Christ, in verse 25, he's talking about judicial redemption. And in verse 26, He's talking about the organic salvation. And in verse 27, he's talking about the bright presentation. You know, last day he's, he went through judicial redemption as a process so that he can, you know, take us to the uh, matter of organic salvation. You know, so that, you know, he can present us to him glorious, uh, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that we will be holy and without blemish, so that we can be presented just like Eve back to Adam. We can be presented to Christ as our bridegroom. So don't you think these three verses are wonderful? Oh, this is a wonderful verse, you know. So, <clears throat> praise the Lord. In the 25, it's talking about He loves us so much, in 26, he's saying, saying that he sanctified us so much. And in the third, uh, 27, verse 27, he's actually presenting back, you know, presenting us back to himself. Oh, praise the Lord of what he's doing. Okay. Yeah, and then when we come to Revelation 19.7 and Revelation 21.2, it talks about these two sides of how the wife could be made ready. You know? Because verse, uh, 19, Revelation 19, verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and exult, and let us give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. His wife has made herself ready. So this should be what we are doing today. Every day of our life, we should be making ourselves ready. Ready for what? Ready for that coming day, for that wedding day. You know, brothers and sisters, we need to remember it. This is our life. Our life on earth should be a life of making ourselves ready so that we can receive our Lord back. In Revelation 21, 2, and he said, And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Prepare as a bride, adorned for her husband. Praise the Lord. The Lord is doing it, and we must be cooperating with the Lord to bring forth, you know, to prepare this bride for the coming of our Lord. 
so that we can uh, come to Revelation 22, verse 17, when it says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. You know, at that time, we and the spirit, which is the consummation of the triune God, are becoming one. So we are actually speaking the one thing which is for the Lord to come. So this spirit that we are talking about is actually the process and consummated triune God. And this bride is the process and consummated triune church. Okay, the triune God and the triune church would be one. You know, at the end, we will be one with him. Okay, so here, you know, the spirit went through a process, God went through a process to become the life-giving spirit, you know, or consummating spirit. And we also go through a process of, you know, all these organic salvation processes from regeneration all the way to glorification so that we can match our Lord to become his bride, you know. So praise the Lord for all these things, you know. We talks about the two processes, the two consummation and the one marriage. This is what the Lord is doing today. And we must rise up to cooperate with the Lord. You know, one of the things that we can actually cooperate with the Lord is to actually, you know, come back to this word here, by the washing of the water in the word. How do we cooperate with him? It's by the word. We need to come to the word. And this word here is not logos, but rima. It's a, you know, rima. It rima, what is rima? It's the instant word. It's the living word. It's the personal word to us. It's a present word. It's an applied word. And it's a direct word. This is what rima is. You know, every time we come to the word, you know, it must be the Lord speaking himself to us. Because this is what the Lord is doing. It's not just a letter, you know, a black letter printed on a white page. It is actually the Lord giving us his instant speaking, his living speaking, his personal speaking, his present speaking, his applied speaking, and his direct speaking to us. If we come to this word daily, you know, actually, the Lord will be able to wash us in this word so that we can be prepared. This is what the Lord is doing presently as the life-giving spirit in the word, we are being washed so that we can be prepared, you know, for the coming of our Lord. You know, so I just hope that um, every time we come together, we would not take it for granted. We must convert all these words that we hear into the instant word of the Lord. You know, we should convert the constant word back into the instant living present, uh, direct applied word in us. So this word would become something that would affect our entire being, okay, that would wash us, that would cleanse us, so that more and more we can be prepared, you know, for the Lord, okay? And so for us to really apply this word, we have to exercise our spirit Amen. to touch the spirit that is in the word, okay? So every time we come to the word, you know, before you come to your morning revival, you know, it is a big difference if you exercise your spirit or if you do not. 
you know, as you wake up in the morning, right away you should turn to your spirit. Amen. You should tell the Lord, Lord Jesus, I love you. Amen. You know, don't turn just when you open the pages. You know, turn the minute you wake up so that the enemy has no chance to infuse his stuff into your brain. Okay? And he's ready. He never sleeps. He, always, he never sleeps, you know. He always tries to shoot dark at us. You know, don't you think that it is true? That when we wake up and call on the name of the Lord right away, you know, then this funny thought would not come into us. But if we linger a little bit, you know, we toss around in our bed a little bit, you know, sometimes, you know, the enemy would come and give you some thought. And he would say, oh, last night, that brother said something. What does he mean? You know, then you start thinking about it. And before you even open your Holy Word for Morning Revival, that is assuming that you do, you know, you're already infused by the enemy. You're already mad at that brother for no reason. You know, but if you right away call, Lord Jesus, I love you, then the enemy has no chance, you know, no possibility to touch you. You know, so it is very good for us to first tell the Lord we love him, exercise our spirit, and then we pray, read the word of God. Oh, we need to pray, read the word of God, okay? So that the Lord would allow all this speaking to work in us, you know? It is really a big difference. You know, when we come to the morning revival, if we turn to our spirit first, you know, even while we are washing our face, brushing our teeth, we already turn. And when we open the morning revival, when we read those verses, you know, we were so touched by what the Lord is saying. You know. Otherwise, you know, we may not be touched. You know, so I hope we are all trying to do this. Just remember our primary thing our primary matter in our church life is to eat the tree of life. And this is through our exercise of our spirit to touch the word of God. We must exercise our spirit so that we can touch him, so that we can eat him, so that we can enjoy him, so that we can experience him and allow him to be everything to us. Okay, this is how we... Uh, allow the bride to be built up or to be prepared. Okay, let's go to A here. It says, when we as God's people enter into a love relationship with God, a love relationship with God. You know, I just love that word. Don't you love that? You know, love relationship with God. Okay. We receive his life. Just as Eve received the life of Adam, we receive his life. Just as Eve received the life of Adam. Okay. It is this flowing, transforming, and building life that enables us to become one with God and makes him one with us. Okay. It is in this flowing, transforming, and building life so this, this, this life is what kind of a life? It's a flowing life. And it's a transforming life. And it's also a building life. A flowing life, a transforming life, and a building life. And this life is the one that will enable us to become one with God and makes him one with us. 
makes him one with us. Praise the Lord. After the Lord created us according to the image and his likeness, you know, that's an outward thing, you know. But he still wants to have us receive his life. That's why he placed us, and he placed us in the Garden of Eden, and he placed a tree of life in the Garden of Eden, in the middle of the garden. And in that garden, we also have the river of water of life. Okay? So you have this, uh, you know, you have this flowing life. And in this flowing life, you also have the tree of life. And then out of this flow, you know, you have gold, you have danium, and you have onyx stones, which is telling us that there is a transforming life there. Okay? And then in verse 22, And Jehovah God built the rib, which he has taken from men into a woman, and brought her to the men. And this is telling us that this life is a building life. Oh, praise the Lord. This life is a flowing life. This life is a transforming life. And this life is a building life. You know, when we see these things, you know, I just hope that the Lord would uh, show us something more, you know, that all our life must be controlled by this flowing life. If there is no flow, we better go back to the Lord right away to enable this flow to continue. If there's no flow, you know, it will be hard for you to go on with the Lord. It'll be hard for you to go along with the Lord. You know, as I was reading this today, I was reading it again this morning, this outline, and talking about this flowing life. Actually, for us to live a proper Christian life, we must allow the Lord to continue to flow to us from the throne, flow into us and flow out of us. All our living must be the outflow of this life. If the flow sort of stop, we better go back to the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord. We touch the Lord to see why this flow is not there. Don't you think so? And so as I was considering this, I remember, I believe it was in 1979, uh, Daniel, Francis, and I, we were traveling first in Israel, then to Europe. And we were in Germany. We were in Germany. And we were supposed to go there. I believe it's from Frankfurt to Munich, right? We were in Munich, in Frankfurt airport. And we were supposed to take a plane to Munich. But somehow, deep within me, I sensed that the flow is sort of stopping. So I keep turning to the Lord. I said, Lord, what's wrong? Is the plane going to go down? <laughs> I was quite, quite concerned. How come this flow is not there? <laughs> then the Lord said, well, it is good for Daniel and Francis to continue. But for me, it should be different. So I said, well... I am in the airport taking a flight. So what should I do? He said, go change your flight. You know, so I did. When I went to the travel agency there, you know, at that time you don't have, uh, you know, you don't do online stuff because there is nothing online. <laughs> you know? So I went to this travel agent. And the travel agent said, you don't want to go to Munich, but where do you want to go? So I was thinking, where do I want to go? <laughs> you know, at this time, I have to touch the Lord very much, then desperately and urgently. 
And the Lord just tell him, we are going to fly to Washington, D.C. So I told him, I'm going to fly to Washington, D.C. He said, that person looked at me. What's there in Washington, D.C.? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Book me a flight to Washington, D.C. You know, so you know, at that time, you had such a thick ticket because we were going so many places. He has to change all those. He's not, he's not so happy. I can still remember her face. But praise the Lord. <laughs> As I landed in Washington, D.C., my mother was there. And my mother said, praise the Lord. The Lord answers prayer. He said, I've been praying that one of you would come to D.C. so that you can bring me back to the Far East. You know, that is much better than text messages. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think so? This is true, the flow of life. You know, when I said Washington, D.C., right away, the flow returns. <laughs> the flow returns. So I said, okay, D.C. is where I go. And praise the Lord, I have all visas intact. So I landed in Washington, D.C. My mother was so happy. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, that we can actually live by the flow of life. Amen. Don't you think this is wonderful? We can live by the flow of life. And if we live by the flow of life, we will be transformed. We will be built up. You know, today we have problem building up with others because there is no flow. If we actually allow the flow in us, you know, then this flow is going to transform us so that we can be built up. You know, so many people said, oh, it is so easy to coordinate with Brother Lee. You know, it's why so easy? Because he was transformed, although we are not so transformed. <laughs> it's easy for us to be able to coordinate. But many times when we cannot coordinate, that means, you know, one of us is not that mature, is not that transformed. That's why it's very difficult to coordinate. You know, but praise the Lord, this flowing life in us is going to do it. Yeah. It's also the transforming life. It's also the building life. Okay? In order for God and his people to be one, there must be, there must be a mutual love between them. There must be a mutual love between them. You know, so, you know, we need to live our life always concerned about our relationship with the Lord. Are we living in this mutual love with the Lord? Do we have his smile? Do we have his manifestation? Is this very Lord real to us? Do we have such a relationship with him? You know, saints, this is very important. We always want to live in this atmosphere of mutual love between the Lord and us. That means, you know, we actually enjoy his smile, his presence, you know, and we enjoy his appearing to us, his manifesting himself to us, and that he is so real to us. You know, praise the Lord. Okay. You know, I, I was so glad that when I was in third year college, I determined to know if this God is real. I spent time arguing with the Lord. I said, Lord, if you are not real, let me go so that I can love the world with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. But if you want me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might, you must appear to me. 
And one night, you know, I argue with him all throughout the night till the morning. I said, Lord, if you're not real to me, forget about this. You may be real to my parents, but my parents is my parents. You know, they are not me. So maybe you are their God. You're not my God. You know, but praise the Lord. It is the time when calling on the name of the Lord came in. And I called the name of the Lord, and the Lord appeared to me to make himself so real. I think we all need such a transaction with the Lord. Okay, we need such transactions. Okay, so that he can make himself real to us. Okay, life is too short for us to continue without experiencing this God as real to us. That we experience his presence in our daily life. We experience his smile upon us. Okay? We must experience this. So I hope, you know, especially for the younger ones, you know, you must have such transaction with the Lord. Real transaction. And if you seek him, you will find him. Indeed, here says, God's people love God and spend time to fellowship with him. You know, this is real. You know, we need to spend time. Even the Lord has to spend time with the Father. He prayed all night, you know, to spend time with the Father. So how about us? I think we have to spend even more time. Spend time to fellowship with Him in His Word. Then God infuses them with His divine element and making them one with Him as His spouse, the same as He is in life, nature, and expression. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, we need to love the Word of God. If you look at the biography of uh, Watchman Nee, right away after he was saved, he loved the Word of God. And you listen to some of the testimony of Brother Lee. He's the same. When he, loved the, when he got saved, he loved the Word. He read the Word all the time. And if you listen to the testimony of Ed Marks, he would read the Word all the time. That's true, right, Ed? You know, so we must be such people. You know, you don't have to be a watchman or witness. Lee, you know, even one person here on earth today, we can still love the Word so much that we will spend so much time with the Word of God. And in Psalm 119, 140, he said, Your Word is very pure, very pure, and your servant loves it. Oh, we must love the Word of God. In 119.15, I will muse upon your precept and regard your ways. That means, you know, when we come to the Word of God, we need to carefully consider Oh, this word of God. You know, recently, you know, Andrew Yu was sharing with me, you know, how he was so touched by all those Bibles of Brother Lee. You know, how there are so many notes there, you know. And he, he's telling me that Brother Lee must have spent a lot of time in those Bibles. He has six Bibles that he read and writes so many uh, notes in the margins of the Bible. You know, he must have spent so much time. That's why he got so much revelation. That's why he can flow out this life that is shared to him by God in the Word of God. Oh, praise the Lord for what he is doing. And this we can all experience and enjoy. Okay, let's come to Roman number two. In Genesis two, in Genesis two, we see a picture of Christ and the church in the types of Adam and Eve. Ahir says, Adam typified God in Christ as the real universal husband who is seeking a wife for himself. Okay? And uh, in Romans 5, 14, uh, 14, it says that Adam is actually a type of Christ. Right, B here said, Jehovah says, it is not said, it is not good for men to be alone. I will make him a helper as his counterpart. 
Adam's need for a wife typifies and portrays God's need in his economy to have a wife as his counterpart, his complement, his parallel. And then two, although God Christ is absolutely and eternally perfect, he is not complete without the church as his wife. Okay? And then God desired to have both Adam typify Christ and Eve typifying the church. His purpose is to let them have dominion. His purpose is to have a victorious Christ plus a victorious church, a Christ who has overcome the work of the devil plus the church who has overthrown the work of the devil. God wants Christ and the church to have dominion. And because of this, you know, we will, uh, you know, we can enjoy the abundance grace of the gift of righteousness. And then we can reign in life with our Lord Jesus Christ. You know. Okay? And in Romans 16, 20, it says, we can actually crush Satan under our feet. Okay, Roman number three says, we need to see what God did in order to produce a counterpart for himself. We need to see what God did in order to produce a counterpart for himself. From the ground, A, from the ground, God formed every animal of the field and every bird of heaven and brought them to Adam. And the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of heavens and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper as his counterpart. One, the wife must be the same as his husband in life, nature, and expression. Two, among the cattle, the birds, and the animals, Adam did not find a counterpart for himself, one that could match him. In order to produce a counterpart for himself, God first became a man, as typified by God's creation of Adam. Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs that closed up flesh in its place. Okay? How about let's read one and two. And Okay, three. read this again, huh? Okay, how about let's read it again with much consideration. Christ's death is the life releasing, life imparting, life propagating, life multiplying, life reproducing death, which is signified by the grains of wheat. Okay, you know when we come to John 12, I believe we all understand before John 12, 24, it seems that the situation at that time is quite good. Okay, and the people in Jerusalem seem to be accepting the Lord, you know, but uh, on verse 23,
the Lord said, the hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. The hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. And of course, those disciples thought that this Christ is now going to become the king. So they want to sit on his right side, on his left side, you know, you know, to be his entourage, you know, to rule over the whole place, you know. But they did not know that the Lord would continue to, to tell them what is the meaning of being glorified. It's being, of being glorified is in John 12, 24. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So what the Lord is telling them is that for him to be glorified means that he has to go through death and resurrection. You know, for a grain to be glorified, it's not for the grain, you know, to be put in some pedestal in a museum. You know, you may think, oh, put him in the museum, you know, all men could see, you know, thousands of people pass through it and see. You know, that's not the thought of the Lord. But to glorify this one grain is that many grains could be produced. That is how to glorify this one grain. You know. He said that's why he said he has to fall into the ground and dies. Okay? Then he will produce much fruit. Okay? Through, through Christ's death, the divine life within him was released. And through his resurrection, his release, divine life, was imparted into his believers for the constitution of the church, for the constituting of the church. Through such a process, God in Christ has been wrought into men with his life and nature so that men can be the same as God in life and nature in order to match him as his counterpart. Okay? Jehovah God built a rib which he has taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. The rib taken from Adam's open sight typify the unbreakable, indestructible eternal life of Christ which flows out of the pierced sight to impart life to his believers for the producing and building up of the church as his counterpart. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, the Lord was on the cross. And usually, you know, the, the Roman uh, soldier would break their legs, you know, so that, uh, you know, they would die faster. You know, so they don't want to keep them up on the cross too long, you know. Okay, so if their legs are break, they cannot, you know, put themselves up. They will stop breathing and they were dying. You know, but when they came to the Lord, the Lord has already died. You know, so they don't have to do that. That's why in verse 1933 it says, In coming to Jesus, when they saw that he had already died, they did not break his legs. They did not break his legs. You know? And then this was also predicted in Exodus 12, 46. He's talking about that lamb, you know. Now, they, they, you should not break any of its bones. You should not break any of its bones, you know. And in Psalm 34, 20, he said, He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. You know, so it seems like these bones not being broken is a very important thing. That's why, you know, it was uh, prophesied in, Psalm, in the Exodus and repeated in Psalm, you know. So what does it mean, you know? A here says, out of Christ's sight came blood and water, but all that came out of Adam's sight was the reap without the blood. 
Okay, during Adam's time, there is no sin. So there is no need of blood. There is no need of blood. But when the Lord Jesus was on the cross, you know, people have already seen there are so many sinners, so he needs to have, you know, the flow of this blood. At Adam's time, there is no need for redemption through the blood because there was no sin. However, by the time that Christ was sleeping, sleeping on the cross, there was the problem of sin. Thus, the blood that came out of Christ's sight was for the judicial redemption. Following the blood, the water came out, which is the flowing life of God for our organic salvation. This divine, flowing, uncreated life is typified by the rib taken out of the Adam's side. You know, this water actually is the rib that was taken out of Adam's side. Okay, this is the water. Okay, and then in 2, it says, Genesis 2.22 does not say that Eve was created, but she was built. The building of Eve was the rib taking from Adam's side. Typify the building of the church with the resurrection life, released from Christ through his death on the cross, and imparted into his believers in his resurrection. Oh, praise the Lord. The church as the real Eve is the totality of Christ in all his believers. The church is the reproduction of Christ. Other than Christ's element, there is no other element in the church. So you could say, actually, Eve was already part of Adam. She was taken out of Adam and built into Eve. Okay? So, you know, in Genesis 5.2, you know, I was touched by this verse quite a bit recently in another conference. He said, male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and called their name. You know, call their name. Their is plural, name is singular. And call their name Adam. Okay? And on the day when they were created. So actually, when the Adam was created, male and female were both in Adam. Okay? So Eve is actually part of Christ already. It was brought out, you know, out of the sight of Adam to be built into Eve. For only that which comes out of Christ with his resurrection, life can be his complement and counterpart, the body of Christ. We need to put off all the natural life until the living Christ can be expressed from within our spirit. Then we will be the church in reality. Oh, praise the Lord. We want to be the church, not just in name, but in reality. And in Colossians 3.11, it said, where there cannot be, there cannot be Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. That means Christ is all the member and Christ is in all the member. You know, that means, you know, when there cannot be, means there is no possibility, no room for any other things other than Christ. Only room for Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. In this one new man, in this church, you know, we are nobody because Christ is everybody. Amen. Don't you think that's wonderful? Amen. So don't try to be somebody. Just know that you're nobody. Only Christ is everybody. Amen. And he is in everybody. Okay. 
And then B here says, to live out anything other than Christ is not the church. It is, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. To me, to live is Christ. This is the church. Wonderful, huh? What is the church? Is to me, to live is Christ. Okay? And then C say, only that which comes out of Christ can be recognized by Christ. Only that which comes out of Christ can return to Christ and match him. At the end of the Bible is a city in New Jerusalem. The ultimate and eternal woman, the corporate bride, the wife of the Lamb, built with three precious materials, fulfilling for eternity the type shown in Genesis 2. Thus in type, all the precious materials mentioned in Genesis 2, 11, and 12 are for the building of the woman. Okay, and then six years. As Eve was taken out of Adam and brought back to Adam to be one flesh with him, so the church produced out of Christ will go back to Christ to be one spirit with him. Christ and the church as one spirit typified by a husband and wife as one flesh are the great mystery. Oh, praise the Lord. Great mysteries, Christ and the church. In the future, Christ as the holy bridegroom would present us to himself as his counterpart for his marriage, just as God presented Eve to Adam as his counterpart for his marriage. And then A here says, Ephesians 5.27 reveals the beauty of the bride, saying that Christ will present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she would be holy and without blemish. You know, what the Lord is looking is for a beautiful bride. Of course, you know, function is needed, but the most important thing is beauty. The beauty of the bride comes from the very Christ who is wrought into the church, who is then expressed through the church, who is expressed through the church. And, you know, we have some of those messages in Psalm 45. You know, those are wonderful, you know. You know, the king has a queen. And here, this queen is uh, simple, is typified the church, you know. The church is the queen, okay. And, uh, you know, all those verses, like in Psalm 45, 10, he said, Hear, O daughter, and see, and incline your ear, and forget your people and your father's house. Oh, I love this, you know. He's telling us that we need to hear him, and we need to see him. We need to incline our ear to him. So we, to become such a queen, to stand at the right hand of the Lord, you know, we need to hear and see him. So I just hope that in this conference, we would allow the Lord to really open our ears to hear him and to open our eyes so that we can see him, okay? And in verse 11, it said, Thus the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. Verse 13 said, The king's daughter is all glorious within the royal abode. Her garment is a woven work inwrought with gold, but also the second garment, she will be led to the king in embroidered clothing. You know, so we need this two uh, clothing. This embroidered clothing represents Christ as our subjective righteousness. And then C said, the Lord's recovery is for, okay, listen to this. The Lord's recovery is for the preparation of the bride of Christ 
who is composed of all the overcomers. Okay, this is the Lord's recovery. Okay, so may the Lord really make us the overcomer. Okay. An overcomer is simply a normal Christian. One that becomes the constituent of the bride. E. The man said, this time, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my blessed. This one shall be called woman, because out of men this one was taken. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Hebrew, man is Ish, and woman is Isha. So Isha comes out of Ish. Okay. The church is a pure product. Oh, this is wonderful. The church is a pure product of Christ. The church is Christly, is resurrectionly, and he is heavenly. You know, Christly, you could see that in Colossians 3, 10 to 11. You know, Christ is all and in all. And he's resurrectionly. You could see that in Ephesians 2, 6. You know, we are now sitting at the, you know, we are, you know, we are raised up with him. And he is also heavenly. Also in Ephesians 2, 6. We are now sitting at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. You know, so today, you know, we need to know as the church, we should be Christly, we should be resurrectionly, we should be heavenly. Okay, we should be full of Christ, and we should live in resurrection, and we should be in the heaven. Only those who are resurrected or regenerated of Christ and who live by Christ as the church can match Christ and complement him. When Christ sees this, he surely say, this time, this time, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Just as Eve was the increase of Adam, the church as the bride is the increase of Christ as the bridegroom. Adam and Eve becoming one flesh, a complete unit, is a figure of God and man being joined as one. The coming new Jerusalem will be the eternal union of God and man a universal couple as a complete unit composed of divinity and humanity. Okay, how about let's all read F, 1 and 2. Sister, we are here not just to know how the bride of Christ comes into being, 
But by knowing this, we would cooperate with the Lord. By having such a relationship with him, by loving him, by taking his word so that we can be sanctified, we can be cleansed, so that we can be the bride that could be presented back to Christ. May the Lord touch us deeply regarding all these points that we have seen. Amen. Amen.